Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel, Unseen Conflict, Part 3. Luke chapter 4, we were there last time. We're going to be in the same passage uh, that we were last time. If you were with us last time, we're, we're in a process going through the Old Testament. I'm calling it the highlight reel, and highlights are kind of hard to decide what are the highlights in the Old Testament because there's a lot of those. And we're all the way in Daniel 10, uh, and from there we've been using it as a jumping off place. It's kind of what makes it slow because we keep jumping off to go this and talk about that. And every time these issues come up, uh, uh, we try to deal with them because there are issues in the scriptures and they talk about things, they raise questions. And remember, if the Bible raises a question, where's the, where's the answer? It's in the commentaries, right? It's in the sermons the preacher preaches. Where's the answer? The Bible raises a question that the Bible does not answer. There's not an answer. So quit looking. If the Bible raises a question, the Bible will also answer that question. And so let that be your answer. What is, what is the Bible's position on demons? That's where we are. The Bible will answer that question. Quit looking for the answers to the questions out there. You're coming up with some weird stuff. You come up, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. And by the, by the way, guess who's promoting that stuff? The demons. They're not stupid. They're not dumb. The dumb, dumb ones are, the one, are us. They're not. They know how it works. And so they're pushing us in that direction. So always come back to the scriptures every time. And we've been introduced to this past couple of times. We've been looking at this whole issue that we were introduced to here in Daniel 10 about the angelic conflict, that we're the subject of that conflict. Um, We've learned from the Bible that there is wicked forces out there, uh, namely evil spirits that we call demons. Uh, In charge of them is a guy by the name of the devil or Satan. And we also learned that we all struggle with them. You, me, all of us struggle with demons. You say, well, the devil made me do it. It's unlikely that anyone here has actually had a conflict with actually the devil. There's only one of them. He can only be in one place. And no offense, but I don't think you're enough mover or a shaker to have the devil take personal his time to come after you. On the other hand, he's got minions, score, scores of them. You have had contact with these guys because Paul makes it very clear here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not your sister-in-law, it's not your mother-in-law, okay? It's not that guy you work with, it's not your wife, it's not your husband. Your struggle is not in those things. It's not anything that can be turned under the classification of flesh and blood. Your struggle, he says, is against the rulers. Of course, he's talking about the mission of the church and the work of the church. And I'm not saying that people can't be a problem if they're not their own problem and that you're not your own problem too. I'm not negating all that. The whole Flip Wilson thing of the devil made me do it. No, he did not. A lot of us get by just fine without the devil messing our own lives up, don't we? So the battle against is especially with the mission of the church. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Notice how he names them. He names them in several different ways. Against the authorities, against the world powers of this present darkness. Notice they're not flesh and blood. They do not take up space. They're not configured or confined by time or by space or dimensionality of any kind. That's why you have multiple demons living inside of one guy we're going to be looking at today. But there could be a limitless number of them because there's no space issues here. It's not like a physical body has a certain amount of space, yeah, for physical things, but not for spiritual things. Against the powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, against, notice, he says, our, our battle. It's not your battle. It's not my battle. It's our battle. It's a collective thing. Uh, we all have personal experience with these entities, some more than others. Uh, there is not a Christian who's not demonically influenced. It's whether or not you're listening to them. They would love to think for you. They would love to influence you. They would love to tempt you. They would love to drive you in a direction of your uh, weaknesses. They would love to do that. They would love for you to listen to their teachings. 
So, so they are influencing us. Why? Because well, this is the battleground. The battleground is we're, we're the, uh, we're the, this, is the, this is the point of the sword, if you will, that God has, uh, which, is his, which is his church. So they're definitely going to be battling against us. They, these operate, these, these entities, we've been learning, operate in a world today to achieve the purposes of Satan and to thwart the purposes of God. It's very simply what they do. Uh, they are the authorities, it says there. By the way, they're authorities. Why? thought all authority came from God. It does. So how do they have authority? God allowed them to. They're operating here on God's allowance. The devil is not making an end run around God. Are we okay with that? The devil doesn't just do stuff and God was like, dang it, I wish I could stop him. They're allowed to do what they do. Because see, there's a conflict. The reason why there's a conflict is because God loves sinners. If God, hated, if God, didn't, have, if God didn't love sinners, the conflict's over. All sinners go to hell. All demons go to hell along with the devil. Over and done with, God goes back to doing what he's been doing for all eternity. But the reason why there's a conflict and why God is delaying judgment is because he loves sinners. Get that through. God loves sinners. He sent his son Jesus to die to rescue sinners. God's not judging the world because he loves sinners. He wants none to be lost, right? But all to come to repentance. This is the mission and purpose of God, the mission and purpose of the church. That's why we tolerate sinners. That's why we accept sinners. That's why we love sinners. That's why churches are a hospital for sinners because that's who God loves. If there were not a love for sinners, then the battle is over because God is not in any way, there, there's not an equality in sides. God is superior. He retains all authority. All authority has been given to him, all Jesus says, and yet these guys still possess authority. Why? Because God allows them to. Because there still is sinners out here, and there still is sin, and there's still this, this progression of things that God is, is, has in motion. So these authorities operate behind the world complex system of evil, and they do pretty good at it. Nobody ever been tempted by the world? Anybody have a tendency to run after the world? I'm the only one here with my hand up, I guess. I'm the only one. Pastor Bill's the only sinner here. Tempted, right? Tried. It's, good. it's, a, it's a powerful system, isn't it? It's demonically powered system that lies to us, that draws us in. They are the nominating, they're the, the, the dominating power in the lives of those who do not belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're the dominating power in their lives. That's what's wrong with your sister-in-law. That's what's wrong with your possibly mother-in-law. I don't know. The entire world, listen, and those in it outside of Christ are the possession. Legally, by God's authority, the possession of Satan is demons. They are. They are. God is allowing them to have that possession. I'm not saying that they're possessed in the strict sense. And let me also say this. The term demon possession is not in your New Testament. It's just simply not there. Greek, Greek doesn't have it. It doesn't exist. To have a demon, to be demonically oppressed, that is, a New, that is New Testament language. We've created this terminology of demon possession. Demon possession is just a progression in demon oppression. Everyone is oppressed by them, right, to, effect, to a certain degree. But uh, outside of Christ. But possession in the sense that they control their faculties, and that's what we looked at last time, is a relatively rare form of demon, demonic control. Uh, it, it just from, from an example of the New Testament. Uh, demon, where a demon enters into a person, controls their faculties, controls what they do, controls what they say, is typically what we think of as demon possession. Uh, we also saw that the majority of demon possession is not what we think demon possession is. So if I just came to you and said, man, I came across this dude the other day and he was demon possessed. What do you think? What's the first thing that pops in your head? This guy was babbling in some foreign language and saying all kinds of 
weird stuff and falling on the ground and spitting out venom and head spinning around, you know, putting up green pea soup or something we've seen on television. They would love for you to think that's what that is. Now, I'm not saying demons can't do that because obviously they do in the New Testament. You've got several examples of that. But I would suggest to you that the vast majority of demon oppression, possession, or whatever does not look like that. Here's what we've seen. What I would suggest to you is the vast majority of demon possession. It is literate. It is articulate. It is religious. It is educated. It is influential. It is charismatic. It's not lunatic behavior. The whole goal of demons is to, is to promote the, the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan is to get followers, lovers, worshipers. Who wants to become a lunatic, raving mad, laying on the floor, spitting up pea soup? No one. So why, if I'm a smart demon, and they all are, would I make a person do that in hopes of getting recruits? No one follows that. No one signs up for that. They're going to sign up for that looks smart. Oh, that looks good. That looks religious. That makes me feel warm inside. They're going to give you that kind of stuff. So you should expect them to be literate, articulate, uh, charismatic, uh, influential. But again, their, their, their purpose is to influence the things of Satan, and they're going to do that as much as they possibly can from behind the scenes. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel. I didn't come out and say, I'm the devil, follow me. No one does that. He makes himself look good. Makes himself look attractive. Like I said, why are we sucked into this world so easily? Because he does good at what he does. He, he works his system. He prefers to do it behind the scenes, in the shadows, in the darkness. You don't know where I am, and you don't know what I'm doing. And he, he always wants that. So do his servants. We can include in that. This is speaking of physical servants in this particular case. We can include in that the, devil, the demons. They do the same thing. The, therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I'm not saying that they can't come out and demonstrate themselves, manifest themselves the way they do here in the New Testament, but I would suggest to you the primary reason why they're manifesting themselves is because something has changed. There's been a different invasion. It's not just the angels fighting anymore. Now, not only are the angels fighting the demons, now the Son of God has invaded. And that's what we're going to be considering today here in Luke chapter 4. We're going to be doing something here, looking at, as I said, a, a relatively rare in the sense of demon oppression is this demon possession, in my opinion. You may disagree. And even more rare in the area of demon oppression is this manifestation that we, rec we refer to here as demon possession here in the New Testament. Look with me at Luke chapter 4, and let's read this incident that takes place in Capernaum as Jesus spoke last time we saw this, and we're going to see it again. Says he came down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath day, Saturday, right? They were amazed at his teaching, his message with authority. So he's in there preaching, teaching, talking, reading the Bible. There was a man in the synagogue possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice, Ha, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Why does he pipe up? Why not just sit there? Interesting, we're going to answer that question. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So he just totally outs himself in front of everybody. Why does he do that? We need to ask that question. We need to answer it. Jesus rebukes him, it says, says, be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him without doing him any harm, which apparently he was capable of doing, but he did not do because Jesus kept him from doing it. So what, what is rare here is that the demon outs himself. What's not rare here is where you find him. So what is a demon-possessed person doing in a worship service? Because that's where they go. 
like I said, they're not the guy underneath the overpass over here in a cardboard box. Why would a demon possess and control a person like that? He's looking for influence. He's looking for followers. Who wants to become him? No one does. So he's going to go, more likely to control who? Someone with, who's a power broker. Someone who's influential. Someone who has a reputation. And I would suggest to you that's the individual you're looking at here. This, this, this demon is in possession of this guy. Uh, and, and notice interesting also, like I said, you find him in a religious setting because here's what you need to know about demons. They're not atheists. They're not that dumb. You've got to be really dumb to be an atheist. They're not, they're not atheists. They're fundamentalists. Consider James chapter 2. You believe that there is one God? Do you? Good for you. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. Fundamentalists. They know what the Bible says. They believe what the Bible says. They know how it goes. They don't have the chronology any more than we do. They don't know the timing of this stuff. But believe me, they don't have faith. You know why? Because it says faith is substance of things that you have not seen. And they, by definition, have seen it. They know God. They've seen him. He steps into a synagogue. This guy's been going to synagogue probably his whole life. Why, why, why would they allow a demon-possessed man if our classic classification of demon possession is this raving lunatic? What would he be doing in a synagogue? Because that's not who he was. He's an influential man, member of the synagogue. Decent person as far as anyone was concerned. Influencer in the community. Business owner. This is assumptions, but I said I, I think to a certain degree we're looking at safe assumptions here. Demons don't have faith in God because they don't need it. They, they know how it goes. They read the Bible. Why, why do demons tremble? That's what I want us to consider here. You've got a demon that is definitely trembling. Why does he out himself here? When, when possibly he's been going to synagogue every single Saturday, and yet, yet here, here Jesus shows up and he just outs himself right in front of everybody. Why does he show himself when we know they don't want to show themselves? They want to hide themselves. Why doesn't he just stay back in his little dark corner in the synagogue and, and, and not bring forward the stuff that he, that he is and what, what he's doing? Because, because, like I said, this is an unusual situation. The Son of God is there. Can't hide. He knows he can't. He knows he can't. The, the, the Son of God is there, and it's made something completely different. And so he begins to tremble. And here's what you need to know about demons. That's what they do. They tremble all the time. They live in constant fear. Because, like I said, they know how it's going to go. They know how it ends. They know the progression. They understand it. So unwillingly, he outs himself there in front of these people in the synagogue and in front of Jesus. Demons tremble because they know there is no forgiveness for them. There's not going to be any quarter for them. They know that. So I want to give you four things this morning out of the text that we can say cause demons to tremble. And it's significant for us because it applies to our call and our mission as a church and our call and its mission as, as those who Jesus has placed his spirit in. First of all, they tremble at the preaching of the Son of God. Look at verse 31. They tremble at the preaching of the Son of God. They tremble at the truth. He came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath day. How, how is that a... How is that offensive, right? I mean, why, why, why is this guy, why doesn't he just stay hidden in the corner? How, how is somehow Jesus speaking the truth about who he is making this huge difference? And we don't know what he preached that day, but I would suggest to you is most likely what you find back in verse 18 of the same chapter. Take a look. Just seven days before, he's at his hometown synagogue. 
He's asked to stand up and read the scriptures. He picks a place in Isaiah. He finds the place. He reads it. He sits down, and he says the things that he says here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And let me tell you something. The demons are offended at that because the poor is what they're about. Poverty of spirit, poverty of life, poverty of emotions, poverty of everything. You want to see a place where, you want to see a place where demons are in control of a country? Look for poverty. You'll know it. Third world country. Demons are in control in places like that. I'm not saying they're not in control here. The better ones are here, though, by the way. They like to mask themselves behind opulence and, and uh, lots of wealth and money and all that kind of stuff. But, man, when they really get in charge, when they really get in charge, everything goes just like that because that's what they're about. So he preaches, preaches, uh, 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 preach to the poor. That's the last thing they want to hear. So if G Jesus is speaking this in the synagogue, you see what the demon is squirming. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Captives to what? See, these are terms of war for the demon. Recovery of the sight to the blind. Who's blinding them? Yeah. Set free those who are downtrodden. Downtrodden by who? Yeah. Proclaim the favorable year of the yard. They said nothing at all the demons in favor of. Man, he's hating here all of this stuff. So at the preaching and the truth of Jesus, this demon, like I said, these are terms of war. He outs himself. From the perspective of the demon, this is, listen, this is how the strong man is invaded by one stronger and is bound up and his possessions are robbed. The strong man, the demon, is being bound. He knows it. And, and the one stronger now is robbing him of his possessions. This is how it happens. How does it happen? By the truth, listen, sorry, I'm going through puberty. By the truth, <laughs> by the truth of God's son, Jesus, mark it down. How do you bind demons? Everybody wants to know that. By the truth of God's son, Jesus. Not by your yelling and screaming. Not by all these televangelists and all these weirdos that we watch out there. Stop watching these guys. They're not telling you the truth. If anything, they are, I, may I say it, demonically, they're demonically taught. And they're teaching us demonic things. Things that don't work. It's just simply not true. Either they're just blowing smoke trying to get your money, or they're actually up to really bad stuff. And I'm not really sure which one it is on any given occasion. But stop watching those guys. They're, they're, they're a mess, and they're causing a mess. So these demons surrender with a scream, notice in verse 34. So he screams, he says, I've lost my spot. There we go. Ha, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? That word ha there, some of your, some of your uh, scriptures say, let me alone. It's only a two-letter word in the Greek language. Just two letters. And it literally means if, if I was off in another room and you heard me say, ouch, what's happening to me in that other room? Specifically, you don't know, but something has happened, right? My, I don't know what happens to y'all. most common thing for me is that I hit my toe on something. Anybody hate that? That's the worst. I don't know why I got put so many nerves on my toes, but my toes. So if I holler, ouch, something has hit me, something has hurt me, and that's effectively the, maybe one of the best ways to translate what this demon says. He's saying, ouch, and all Jesus is doing is sitting in the front of the synagogue. And this little man that has the demon is sitting over here in a corner, yet the demon starts screaming through the man's voice, ouch. What has Jesus done to him? Jesus didn't say, all the demon-possessed people, we need you to line up here at the front. I'm fixing to start delivering people. He's not saying any of that stuff. He's not threatening this guy in any way from our perspective. But as far as the demon's concerned, oh, the threat, it's a 100% threat. It's 100%. He's got to out himself. He's got to do something he would have never, ever done. He would have never let anybody know that he was there, probably had not let anybody know that he was there for a very long time. And then now he outs himself. Why? Because he was being controlled 
by something this man was saying and who he was. And in fact, that's what you find. He screams, he panics, let me alone, ouch, you're hurting me, effectively is what's being said here. Some, again, something to take home, here it is. The preaching of the truth of Jesus pins the demons. That's what does it. Not our incantations. Not our little bindings and castings. The preaching of the teaching, I'm not a preacher, right? The teaching, the speaking, whatever. Every time Jesus was confronted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days... In, in the same chapter, in the book of Luke, every time the devil tempted him, what was his response? The word. Every time the Son of God responds with the word, what should the followers of the Son of God respond with? The word. And yet we get distracted by these guys who teach us all these incantations and stuff like that. Got to stop listening to them. The demons surrender with a scream because of the word. The preaching of the truth of Jesus pins the demons. What business do we have with each other, they say. Jesus that's effectively saying, what have we done to you? Or what is happening over here in the spirit world? We're not privy to it, but something tough, this guy is pinned. And all Jesus has done is sit very still and teach the truth. And yet this demon is completely pinned. By the way, same kind of thing over here we find in, later on in Luke, four chapters later, chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, the whole story of this demon-possessed man who lived in the hills and who was this notable person of infamous fashion living in the tombs in the areas there in the Gadarenes on the north side or the south side of the Sea of Galilee, dwelling among the tombs, it says. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. So he had this superhuman, supernatural strength. How did he have that? Because demons can do that. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains. You think he's having a good time, by the way? When was the last time you loved to parade around naked? This is not a stripper, guys, not, not by choice. This is a guy who's tormented. That's what they do. They torment. They afflict. He's not enjoying his life at all. Separated from his family. Separated from people that love him. Who knows what all is going on with this guy's life? Gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus at a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, shouting in a loud voice. It sounds very similar to this story, doesn't it? Why are they doing this? What is Jesus doing that's making these guys, these demons, do this kind of stuff? What business do we have with the same statement here? What, what have we done to you? What's between me and you? What have I ever done to you, Jesus, that you're afflicting me like this? They run up to him and say this, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, if you'd have been a disciple there, what would you have been thinking? I'd have been thinking, whoa, this is really weird. We sit on the outside, even read the scriptures ourselves, and we still see this as weird, even though we've read it and been taught it for a very long time, because we're not seeing the spirit world. Something's happened in the spirit world that we're not privy to, but, but we can get indications here. It's not fun for the demon at all. By the way, there's not just one of them. Like I say, this, in this case, there's a legion of them, which is about 6,000. I implore you by God, do not torment me. They were imploring it, so it goes on to say, not to command them to go away into the abyss. Wow. Jesus just shows up in a boat. The disciples, he says, we're going to go to the other side. They get in a boat. They have no idea what they're, what they're going to do. Of course, Jesus knows. He's going to rescue this man. They get in a boat. They travel to the other side. They're not even out of the boat yet. And down from the hill comes this guy. Totally naked, by the way. So this guy charging you totally naked. What are you thinking about that? I'm thinking, let's get back on the boat. <laughs> Living in the tombs. He's famous, you see. He's famous. He's known, well-known in this region. You go to Israel with it, by the way, one of the nicest places we stay is right here on this spot. It's beautiful there, gorgeous. 
So he's got a beautiful view, but a horrible life, right? And he, this guy comes charging out of the stones, out of the tombs, stark naked, bleeding, and, and runs up to Jesus and begins shouting this stuff. Wow, what, what is actually happening in the spirit world? What's, what's really going on here? Why, why does he say stuff like, why are you attacking us? Jesus just showed up in a boat. You, you think it's D-Day or something. Well, for him it is. What are we missing? What are we not seeing? Again, God goes to see what, what he wants us to see, but we need to be able to read in between the lines and understand there is a serious conflict going on here. It tells us this man, by the way, with demons come running up to Jesus. So he's way back in the hills back there. He's hidden back in the tombs among the trees. And as far as I'm concerned, why does he stay hidden? Why doesn't the guy in the synagogue just keep quiet over in the corner? What's, what's making them do what they're do? Why, if, so if you're a demon, and I'm not accusing anybody, and your whole goal is to void this one who's called the son of the most high God, that's been your, part of your goal for your entire existence, is to void him and to do whatever Satan wants you to do. And then lo and behold, he shows up on your shores, let's say a couple hundred yards from you, what are you going to do? I'm going to run. Not that way, but the other way. Now, it's, not very, it's illogical to me that this guy would go running up to him. Why doesn't he run? Why not hide? Why not stay where you are? Jesus hasn't said anything. Jesus hasn't said, you see that guy over there? I want us to go get him. He hasn't said anything like that. He hasn't formed the disciples. Hey, we're going over here to grab this guy. There's not some kind of memo sit ahead to say, we're attacking and we're going to be taking on this individual with these multitude of demons. He hasn't said anything like that. So, so why does this guy come charging up? Here's, here's my conclusion. You ready? The reason why he doesn't run and hide is because demons are not as dumb as people. That's why. Where, where do you hide from the Son of God? Where, do you, where can you run where he is not? But people, we run all the time, don't we? And we hide from God all the time. Why? Because we're a lot dumber than them. They got, they're dumb, but they're not as dumb as we are. You've got to be really dumb to think you can hide from the Son of God. They're not that dumb. It's over for them. They come charging up there. The only chance they have is to throw themselves at their mercy, which is what he does. That's exactly what he does. And notice the demons refer to themselves in this case in the plural. Of course, there was a legion of demons, but they do in the same case here in, in Luke chapter 4. And that's very interesting because only, there's only one demon there. So why does one demon refer to himself in the plural? Because he knows it's on all of them. It's not just me, it's us. Us. Why, why are you attacking us? Why are you after us? Why are you hurting us? Because they understand it's not just about one. It's about all of them. The assault is on all of them. And, and indeed it is. The preaching of the Son of God, the preaching of the Son of God makes them tremble. You want to know what demons are doing every day? They're trembling. That's why. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They're trembling, number two, the purpose of of the Son of God. You notice the interesting alliteration. What did I tell you about alliteration? If you've been here very long, you know that I don't alliterate anything. So I came up with alliteration. I got it from some other preacher. He did a good job, and I'm just giving it to you. I just want to make sure the credit's... Pastor Bill's a good alliterator. No, he's not. But if he comes to alliteration, it's because he got it from some other preacher. It works. The preaching of the Son of God, the purpose of the Son of God, the person of the Son of God, we're going to go through it anyway. The, pers- the purpose of the Son of God, number two. The purpose of the Son of God, verse 34, notice, they, understand, they feel his purpose here. Ha, what do you have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He didn't say anything like that. That is his purpose, isn't it? Oh, it most definitely is. They, they know his purpose. The Son of God appeared for what? Appeared where? He's always been. Appeared where? Here. 
For what purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. Believe me, they know it. They're showing you. They're, they're showing you their hand. They know. They, they don't have to be educated. They know. They know what Jesus has come to do. Jesus doesn't quite, they don't quite know what the chronology is, but they know how it ends, you see. They're kind of like us. They don't know when the end's coming. They just know what it's going to be when it ends. And we can know that much. You read the scriptures. I, I don't know how it's going to all play out, but I do know that if we're on Jesus' side, we win. And if you're not on Jesus' side, which they know exactly where they stand. So they're begging him not to send them away into the abyss. Why? Why do they do that? We Put it back over there. Why, why do they beg that? One more time. Why, why do they beg that? Not to send him away in the abyss. Because that's what he's going to do. Why, why do they beg him not to torment him? Because that's what he's going to do. So what do you know about Jesus? Maybe not near as much as the demons do. They know a lot. Demons don't quite know this whole chronology, like I said, but they know how it's going to end, and they're begging him not to end it right now. Is, is this it? Is it over? We thought we were going to get to play longer. No, the party's over, right? For them, at least. So they're, they're, they tremble at the preaching of the Son of God. They tremble at the purpose of the Son of God. They tremble at the person of the Son of God. Look at verse 34 again. Notice what they call him there, the Holy One of God. But again, what they call him here, the Son of the Most High God. Why, why are they saying that to him? Why, 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 why in, in Luke chapter 4, just a couple of verses later, why does it say the demons later on? He's casting multiple demons out of multiple people, and it says, also we're coming out of him, shouting, you are the Son of God. So let's, let's think with me just for a second. They hate him, right? Yeah. They oppose him, right? They're, they're trying to destroy that which he loves and is here to rescue. Isn't that right? Human beings. But in their presence, they reverence him every time. What do they know? Well, I would suggest to you they know a lot. Maybe way more than we do. We could just get short of their activities and their direction. A little demon theology in us, I think, would be far better. They know who he is. They know what he can do. They believe the word 100%. If we could just get these three things on the church of God today, what would we do with it? You see... You've got to teach these demons this stuff because they know it. They know the word is true. They're completely confident in the scriptures. It's amazing to me. Like I said, they're fundamentalists. And we're back here questioning whether the word of God, I'm not sure whether this is true or that part is true. And we make a quilt out of it and put it together, the stuff that we want to believe. The demons don't do that. They're influencing that. But I'm telling you, they themselves, they know how it goes. They know. We only understood, listen, if we only understood our status in the earth today, spiritually, we would not be who we currently are. If we only understood our status, they tremble at the preaching of the Word of God, the purpose of the Word of God, the power, as we're going to see in just a second, the person of the Word of God. Who brings these things into the earth today? Jesus left us, didn't he? He went back to heaven, sent us the Comforter to live where? At church on Sunday so we can go home and live however we want to during the week. Isn't that right? Amen or oh me, right? No, he sent the comforter to live where? In us, who is what? The spirit of Jesus himself. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes. Surely that's not the first time you've heard that. So as a, as a person possessed by the spirit of God, speaking the word of God with the purpose of God, and the person of God living in you, who brings the presence of Christ into this world? You do. Do you, under, do you understand? Do we understand who we really are? I don't think we do. 
I really think we fall short of it greatly. We would not be the intimidated. See, we're not, we, we act as if we're the intimidated ones. We're not the intimidated ones. They are. Battle's over. We just march, go and make disciples. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. How much authority? All of it. Make disciples. Why? Because nothing can stop you. Even Hades, he says. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. Just go step out. And yet we sit back. Why? We don't know who we are. So it's the person of the Son of God, the preaching of the Son of God, the, the purpose of the Son of God, the power of the Son of God. Jesus, in both cases, commands these demons to come out. And that was not a part of their plan that day, I promise you. They wake up that morning and say, you know what, I'm going to leave this guy. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living in the tomb, scraping myself with stones. That wasn't their purpose. Believe me, they wanted to continue the program. They wanted to continue to hide in the background of a synagogue and continue to be maybe an important person in the community and yet have this, this demon controlling, this, this demonic control over this person. Believe me, that's what their goal was that day. That's not how it ended, right? It's not what they wanted. But notice when Jesus cast them out, in both cases, we didn't read the whole case there with uh, this man who had, uh, who had these legion of demons, yet nonetheless... They come out immediately. There's no binding. There's no dialogue. There's no manipulation. There's no formula. Just immediate dominance. Out. Why? Because power of the Son of God. The power of the Son of God. Now, you may think your life is full of sin and a mess, and it may very well be. Well, let me just ask you something. You're, are you naked yet living in the tombs? I mean, it can get bad. And you may think your life is bad, but it's not this bad. It's not this bad. But I'm telling you, outside of Christ, the only reason why your life or anyone's life isn't this bad is just because they don't want it to be. They have authority to do it. They have the power to do it. They have the influence and the dominance to do it. And there is only one who can stop them. Only one. We didn't read the whole story. This guy, terrible life, right? So he comes down and meets Jesus, and of course, if you know the rest of the story, Jesus casts the demons out of them into pigs. The pigs run off in the water and die. And the people who were hurting the pigs go back to the town, which is about eight miles away, get the people, and they come to see this person, this infamous, not notorious person who's been living in horrible, treating everything. I mean, he's just like the worst scourge there could ever be, naked, bleeding all the time, right? They go back and come to see and what do they find when they get there they came to jesus and observed notice the man who had been demon possessed sitting down never did that clothed never that in his right mind certainly never that the very man who had had the lesion isn't that interesting so jesus and his disciples cross the whole sea by the way he doesn't stay the people beg him to leave they're scared to death of this jesus who can overcome these demons the man wants to leave with Jesus. He says, no, you stay and give testimony about what God has done for you. The man stays and spreads the news of Jesus all over that Gentile region of that area. The gatherings is mainly Gentile region. Today, the, city, the country of Jordan. All that area he spreads, Golan Heights and all that region. He spreads all this news of who, who Jesus is. And Jesus leaves making one disciple. You think Jesus left the other side of Galilee to make that one disciple? I believe he did. I don't think anything surprised Jesus. He knew exactly what he was doing. Got a guy over here as a press. I'm going to go deliver him, and then I'm going to come back. So Jesus crossed the sea just to deliver one man. Yep, that's right. So you know that he cares for us, don't you? One person. What was his life worth? What, what influence did he have? 
of what good was this person? Probably his family and all the people in that community said, well, he'd be better off dead. Probably tried to kill him, but just couldn't. God was just too bad. Yeah, Jesus says, he's worth it to me. Jesus, listen, crossed more than the Sea of Galilee to get to us. Did he not cross out of heaven to earth, didn't he? To bring us healing, to bring us hope, to bring us forgiveness. And he's here right now reaching out to every one of us, is he not? If we'll, if we'll do no more than what this guy did, fall on our knees and beg Jesus, save me, rescue me. Guess what? Yeah. That's exactly what he's here to do. I'm going to ask you please to bow your heads and close your eyes with these. We consider the things that God has said to us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are so faithful. I thank you, God, for caring so much. I mean, what, what, um, what a horrible circumstance that we find ourselves in. We consider that a person outside of Christ can be as bad as this person. And it's truly just to the whim of these evil spirits. Their life can be just as wrecked, just as horribly contorted and destroyed. Because it's just to the whim. And, and you came, Jesus, because you saw that we were sheep without a shepherd, sheep among wolves. And you came to be our shepherd, and you came to lay down your life for the sheep to rescue us. And you, you left the 99 to come and find us, God. I'm thankful so much that you've done that for us. You've done that for me. I thank you that you cared so greatly. And God, I pray that you'd forgive us where our theology falls short of even the demons. That we fail to believe what they know is absolutely certain. I thank you, God, that you've given us a place in this world, a place of authority, a place where we carry your person, we carry your message, we carry your purpose, we carry your power. God, help us to understand who we really are in this world. Thank you, God, that we have no reason to tremble, every reason to be confident in you, every reason to submit ourselves to you, every reason to trust you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for working, teaching, rescuing. I pray that you continue to do that in our midst, God, and all around us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.